You guys doing good? Yeah, come on, yeah. Hey, so um, the video, you know, we had a video announcement. Shout out to Nelson. Nelson, where you at, bro? Where you at? He's around here somewhere. Nelson does the videos for us. So let's give it up for Nelson. He started to doing that. You know, we have video announcement now. But we started this journey, you know, 21 days ago, and it was a declaration and, and a, an encouragement to a community to do something incredibly ancient, was to, which is to pray and to fast. And you might ask yourself, well, that should just be between you and God, but there's many times throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament where prophets would get together, leaders would get together, and they would desire God to move in such a way that they would encourage a community to pray and to fast. Sometimes it was just a day, other times it was a week, but for our case, it was 21 days. And in these 21 days, I've, I've done a pretty good uh, work in my own heart to focus in on the scriptures. More than ever, the scriptures have become alive to me. I have become hungry for the word of God. There has been a growl in my soul. And I have found that as we've talked about seeking God and, and seeking him in, in the secret place, and I have found that as, as we we've come together as a community and as we continue to grow, that it's not anything that I can do or Kelly can do or the team here can do, but it, it only comes through the grace of God. And you know, there's this, this thought I had as I was praying and I was just going to God because, you know, I, I don't take this pulpit and this microphone lightly. I really don't. I don't take it one ounce lightly, especially being in a season of just praying and fasting and praying and fasting. I, I've had a conversation with God so much so that I, I have to constantly remind myself that, Father, God, I, I cannot do this unless you are here. And I don't know about you, and this may be somewhat for someone in the room, but you have to realize and understand that all good things come from heaven. The scripture tells us it encourages that to us. And I was, I was thinking about coin in this community and how we're growing. I mean, look around. Like, what on earth is happening? It's like nighttime. It's 5 p.m. and people are coming to church. It's kind of crazy. We had morning service this last week in record numbers. Not that numbers are everything, but numbers are important. There's a whole book on it, by the way. But anyway, I just, I was thinking through and processing and there was this, this idea, this thought that came into my mind that I haven't talked about in this community before yet. You see, it was this one revelation that had gripped my soul. It didn't come from my mom or my dad. It didn't come from my brothers. This one revelation did not come from a pastor. This revelation only came as I began to dig a little bit deeper with God. And you know that word revelation, it's an interesting word. I would argue that word revelation can only come from God himself. No man, no woman can speak something into you that would reveal something. Scripture says that it is the Holy Spirit through his word that reveals things to us. And there was this one revelation that came upon me when I was in my high school years. I was a junior in high school. It was no longer my mother and father's faith. I decided to take my own car to drive all the way to Corona in Chino, and I would go to this church, and I began to serve in this church. My parents didn't tell me to serve. No one told me to serve. I was a junior in, in high school, and I just wanted more of God because I found that in, in my whole religion of church that there was something missing between my relationship with God and also with others. I was this person that 
Paul would call a super apostle, I would call a super Christian. Super Christians, you, you may be one yourself. I have been one many times before. Super Christians are those types of individuals that believe that they just know it all, and they have to remind you of all of the mess-ups, all of the sins. It is almost as though they are a mirror of judgment over your life. And I grew up in a community that was so focused on judgment, so focused on wrath, though judgment is important. Without judgment, there is no justice. But I realized very quickly that there was something that I was missing in my relationship with the Father, I know every person in this room has to some degree, understands to some degree what it is to know a father. It is the dynamic of of family that God has established in the unit. And it's interesting because scripture is constantly echoing into the love of a father, the love of a father. But how can we understand the love of a father if I'm here on earth and I've never known or understood love from my own physical father? And so what happens is, is we, we read the scriptures and we're distorted of the scriptures because maybe some of us have experienced father that is filled with wrath and anger and wants to remind you of all the shame and all the sin and all the mess ups and all the mistakes and all the mishaps. And yet there is no love and there is no grace and there is no mercy. So we go to the scriptures and it is almost as if as a human being we read and we say, how on earth could I understand this Jesus And this God who claims to be my father that says he loves me. When in fact my own earthly father I have no relationship with. But what happens is this revelation came upon me. And it was a revealing only of the Holy Spirit. And it was this word grace. Turn to your neighbor and say grace. (laughs) Grace. It was grace that got me through it. And in the conversation of tonight, when you look at God in in a cosmic nature, when you look at God in the detailed intrinsic nature, when you find yourself as a human being, not divine, you find yourself knowing that you have a lot of mistakes, right? Mistakes are a constant, continual thing that happens in a, a person that has a full life. Talk to anyone over the age of 80 years old, and they would be able to tell you, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. Talk to someone that's 15 years old, and they'd already be able to tell you, though they might not fully be able to comprehend, I know I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. But what happens is we allow mistakes and mishaps and mess-ups to cripple us in our relationship with God because we don't understand the degree to which he loves us. I want to paint a picture of you of what grace has done for me. I was a super Christian when I was in junior high. I, uh, I knew how to quote the scriptures in such a way that it would manipulate the text, not the context. It would manipulate the text in such a way that I would be able to, as a super Christian, let people know I am better than you and you are really, really messed up. You're going to go to that party and do what? You're going to go to hell. I remember saying that. I was that guy. Could you imagine being my friend or around me? No wonder, you know. I remember in junior high being, being at school here at Magnolia. And though I had mistakes, though I had mishaps, though I messed up a lot, I just felt the need to let people know because I knew the text. No, 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 no. You're a sinner. And the only way to find redemption is to ask for forgiveness. Until you ask for forgiveness, you're going to hell. 
Do you know, I would tell people this. Do you, I was so passionate about the word, it was just, it wasn't love. I remember telling people, do you know that if you continue sinning, you never ask God for repentance, and you die today, you'd go to hell. And although to a pretty big degree that is true, I would use it and use it and use it and use it, and I would abuse it, and I became too many to what Paul would say, a super Christian or a super, he would say, apostle. And I remember when I realized this this realization, this revelation came upon me, and it was only revealed to me by the Father, by love, by grace, by mercy. I remember everything changed from that point on. All of a sudden, I knew that I could no longer judge people because why on earth would I judge when I have a speck in my own eye and let people know you're wrong, but yet I'm somehow okay? You know, it's this interesting thing that I have come to realize that God does not like to move and groove and do things in people's lives that are willing to not say, I have some brokenness in my life. I truly believe it is only in the brokenness of our life that God can do his greatest work because he's not looking for perfect people. I want to paint this picture and the story in 2 Corinthians. Before I go into the text, I want to explain the context. You see, Paul, is, he, he's, he's, a, he's a man that is so passionate about God that what he, he desires to do, what he does, his passion, his call, his ministry is to go from geographic location to new location to new location. And he would go and he would start and establish churches to people that had no idea of the gospel, no idea of God, because what happens is that at this point in time, 2,000 plus years ago, after Jesus dies, he's risen again, and now he goes on, and he says, I need you to do my work. I will give you the Holy Spirit to do it. He visits this man named Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul gets thrown off his donkey and his horse, blinded for a couple of days, and it's only through the seeing of what God does, the revelation of God, that he is able to have the amount of power and confidence to go and do what God's calling him to do, but it only happened in the breaking. He was broken before God, and there was this revelation that took hold of him. So Paul goes, and he establishes church after church after church. And you have to understand, when you're going and doing that, you're dealing with people, right? My goodness, people are really hard to deal with. If you work at any, any level of leadership, you know that there are times where you have to manage people or you have to encourage people to do a certain task. And if they don't do it, it's really frustrating, right? It's like, why don't you just get it? It's really simple. You just do this, and it's, it's good. Like, just do that. And then you have people that love to stir up the pot at work, right? And it's just like, why can't things just be simple? Like, why do we have to make things so complicated? Why can't we just... For me, I'm, I do valet. Why can't you just welcome people, open the door, get in the car? But you, could you imagine that there's drama within valet teams? <laughs> so Paul, what he does is he, he goes and establishes a church in the city of Corinth, a really wicked city. I would accredit to, forgive me if this offends you, but, but a modern-day Las Vegas 
where prostitution is at an all-time high. People just love to go around, and, and there's orgies. Uh, men and women don't have no idea of, of morality, so they worship this god of Aphrodite, and the god of Aphrodite is at a certain statue in a certain place in the city on a very high hill because they believed the higher you could go on a hill, the higher you can get to the gods. And so they would go and perform orgies to please their god or goddess. So you could imagine the difficulty that Paul would have when he goes into a city and they don't understand what he means by being pure. Why on earth would I be pure? What's the point? And so Paul, he establishes a community. He helps this community. He walks people through and he's only there for a short time and then he appoints another leader to take over. And what happens is there's these super apostles that I believe, and many theologians would argue, that they liked to just follow Paul wherever he went. They were Jews. They were Israelites. They knew the law. They knew the scriptures. Paul would even allude that some of them even knew how to speak better than him. And what they would do is after Paul would leave, they would go and infiltrate a certain community, and they would create deception among the community about Paul, the apostle. And there was confusion, and there was bickering, and there was arguments. And now do we follow Paul, or do we follow these other apostles? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to uh, approach it. Because they, they have a lot of accolades. My goodness, Paul doesn't seem to have much. Have you ever been in a point in your life where you feel like you have to defend your reputation? Paul found himself hearing through the writings, through the miles upon miles, through his leaders that this had happened in the city and in the church of Corinth. So we find ourselves in the text where Paul has to do a little bit of boasting. I've realized as I was reading the text in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12 that Paul gets tired of boasting. That's not his normal suit. Paul hears about super apostle. He is, establishes a sarcastic tone of boasting, is forced to present his suffering, to show his pedigree, to hold his reputation. Here is some of what he says. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, the same one Jesus did. Three times I was beating with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, endangered in the city, in the country, endangered at sea, and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. And so that's the framework of the text as we jump right into it. In 2 Corinthians, it says this, therefore, that's why it's there. Of all the understanding of the boast that Paul had to go through. Therefore, in order to keep me from be becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Have you ever had a little splinter in your finger? It's really annoying, right? It's nagging, it's frustrating. Sometimes you try to apply it, you don't have the right tools, and it goes deeper. And it's constantly reminding you the pain, this small, minute, little object from a tree or wood that now is causing tremendous pain in your entire body, has crippled your mind. 
but it was so small. He says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger, watch this, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I don't want us to miss over that. Paul is talking in relationship as he's having a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus tells him, Paul, you must understand it is not anything that you can do. It is not by your grace, it is not by your sufficiency, it is not by your power, nor your might. It is all that I am. I am the one who makes the grace in your life. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I want to talk to you for a few moments about the glass wall. I believe every person in their life has a glass wall on their journey of life. In particular, their journey with faith in their relationship with the Father and their own life. And the glass wall is symbolic to on the journey, you know, we want to continue to grow. We want the new me. We're in 2020. We want to do something different and something new. But we must realize that when you're on the journey, you see this glass wall, and you don't know how to get over it. You don't know how to get to the next level. You don't know how to understand God at a different perspective. You seem to not have community like you really should because you're faced with this glass wall. The glass wall tells you you're not good enough. Have you ever looked yourself in the mirror with full disclosure and just looked at yourself? All of your imperfections, all of the blackheads and the pimples that you can't seem to get. You look at yourself in the mirror, you wish you were just a little bit skinnier. You wish it was like the high school days when you had the six-pack abs. You look yourself in the mirror because the mirror is the one that tells you the truth. But so often we're walking on this journey and we're, we're finding relationship with God, but we, be, we begin to hit a wall and there's this wall. Why can't I get through? Why can't I push through? Why, why is there not breakthrough in my relationship with people, in my relationship with God? Why can I not hear his voice the way I want to hear it? Why is he speaking to everyone else and he's not speaking to me? Well, I would argue it's because there's a glass wall. The glass wall is the one that brings imperfection. It brings shame. It shows you your mishaps. It shows you your mistakes. When you look at the glass wall, it takes you back to that time. That one, that one time that you made that really bad mistake. That one time that you were forced to do something you didn't want to do. That one time that, that you cheated when you know you weren't supposed to. That one time you may have had a child at a wedlock and now you're constantly reminded by this glass wall that you are not good enough, that you can't amount to anything. And so you find yourself crippled on the journey of life, in the journey of faith because of the glass wall. Maybe you're that person in the room where you just were having a little too fun with your friends. It was a little too late. You were maybe a little too intoxicated, but you decided anyway, it's okay, I'll be all right. And event after event after event, and now you look at the glass wall and it reminds you of that one time, that one day with those people, and it's a constant reminder that ah, I'm just, I'm not good enough. You see, this 
passage of scripture, it's, it's, it's the one that has changed my life, the trajectory of my life. When I read this passage for the first time with different eyes, it was almost as if God gave me a new revelation. And I realized something for the first time that is nothing that I could possibly do to gain God's grace for my life. You know, we've had coin crews and we've been in community and, and as I see faces around this room, what I love about smaller spaces like this is there's relationship that's been built and it's almost as if I, I can like remind myself of all the stories we've had just by looking at you. And I reminded, and even in our men's coin crew, a conversation that James and I has is we're having such good conversation and such good talks and it's almost as if God is bringing you down the journey of redemption and he wants to do something great in your life and it's this constant reminder not from leaders but from I would argue a messenger from Satan himself that would tell you, yeah, but you ain't good enough. Yeah, but you know that wall? You know that wall that like you want to just like leap over, but you, you don't know how to get over it. You can't climb it. You can't dig a hole under it. Intelligence doesn't help you. But it's this, this small little annoyance in your flesh that says, yeah, 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 that one thing, it's, it's not going to work for you. And I've realized that we've had, we have to talk about grace because it's grace that has changed my life. You know what's interesting is I would not be able to stand up here had I not known and have I not experienced the grace of God over my life. When you walk into new spaces and spheres, please, 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 if you're a follower of Jesus, if you know anything about God, if you've ever prayed a prayer of help, please don't be deceived and think you did it all on your own. It's the favor of God, it's the grace of God over your life that has got you to where you're at. You might have victory in finances, but there was one day where you just said, oh, and now it's like, it's flowing, the dough's flowing, and it's everywhere, and it's like, but there was this moment where I didn't have the dough, and it was just a small amount, but I decided to give God just a little bit of who I am. I decided to be obedient and to sacrifice. I decided to go and to serve, and though the serving didn't seem meaningful, though the people sometimes were annoying, I just wanted to sacrifice because I believed that the more I gave to God, the more I did things for God, the more I expressed my relationship with God, that he would begin to work in the innermost part of my soul. And now the dough and the money and the milk and all of it, your cup is overflowing, but we could so quickly be deceived. It was nothing you did. It was the grace that got you through it. Grace got me through it. Yeah. Yeah, it was grace. Kelly, it was grace. You know. Kelly knows do you know the thing about relationships? It's very dangerous because there's vulnerability, right? Kelly could come up here and wreck my entire life <laughs> by just telling the story after story of all the walls that I've managed to break down, but because there's vulnerability, that's why vulnerability is so important. That's why you must find community that's willing to say, I don't care so much about the mistakes. God will take care of that. I don't care so much about the mishap. God will take care of that. I don't care so much about the past. Stop allowing the messenger of Satan to remind you about the past. I'm just more concerned about the future. But you cannot experience true power from God Watch this. You can't experience the ultimate power from God unless you experience the power of community. Read the scriptures. 
I'm not making it up. It is always found in community God moves. In community he moves. And you're quickly reminded though, man, I'm not good. I'm not as good as that one. Shoot. I'm not as fit as him. Man, I can't play ball like that guy. Shoot. And we're, we're so good at just measuring our own soul and our own qualifications based off other people, though it is important, though I'm grateful for it, because it reminds me, oh, no, 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 it's not anything they could do. Yeah, I know they're good looking. Yeah, I know they got it all together. But no, 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 no. It's grace that gets me through it. And that grace doesn't come from a mom or a dad. That grace doesn't come from a coworker. That grace doesn't come from someone that could inherit you finances, that could make life just seem better. That grace can only come from the revelation of God himself. He told Paul, I know you want to get rid of this one wall, Paul. I know you want to do it on your own because Paul said, I did it. I pleaded with you, God. Three times I asked you, I begged of you, would you just get rid of this one thing? It's, it's nagging. It's annoying. I can't get rid of it. It's frustrating. And God said, don't worry about it. It's nothing you can do. It's my grace that is sufficient in your weakness. It is who I am. It is what I have done. That's why it's so important that we understand that a God did come because God was so distant, God was so far, and we needed an Emmanuel to come and be with us. And now that we can experience God relation, relationally, now that we understand God together, now that we can speak to him, and we don't have to go to a priest to ask for our sins to be forgiven, we can go to the throne room immediately. In a moment's notice, we can ask God to move in our life, but we have to remember, he's not looking condemning you, he's not looking judging you, he's not looking telling you, you're a nobody he's not looking at you with the stake in his hand he's telling you my grace is what will get you through this it's time to allow me not you to break down the glass wall break down the glass wall so grace got me through it I know there's people in this room that I have had conversation with that knows this very well you would not be who you are. You would not be where you are unless grace got you through it. Worship team, you guys can come on up. I forgot to announce this. Tonight, you know, we're ending our, our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I know it could be frustrating for those that don't want to just stand and not sing or, or press into the presence of God. I, I understand it could be a little bit annoying, but I wanted to strategically through the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, I asked God, how should we do tonight? And it was simple, just focus on worship. Because we're ending a fast. We're ending something that we have been compiling for weeks upon weeks, and, and, and Kelly knows it, and people in my, my life know it, like, man, I have been craving all the goodies. I cannot wait <laughs> to go get afters ice cream I cannot wait to go get in and out with animal fries. There are things, though, watch this, that you have to be willing to give up in order to receive more of. And we cannot stand in a position realizing that if, if it's just all of my might and all of my strength, and maybe it's my intelligence that can get this wall to break down, maybe I can reason enough with people and myself, and maybe I can hide it, maybe I can grab all the dirt and, and just lather it over this glass wall, this wall that's reminding me constantly that I am not good enough. If only I could hide it, if only I could break it, and there's nothing that you can possibly do about the past, right? 
It's this frustrating thing about time and space. The clock just seems to keep ticking and ticking and ticking. And it's almost as if we can prepare just briefly for the present and we can focus so much more on the future. But what about the past? And I'm here to tell you tonight, if you have never heard it for the first time, you can have victory in the past. You can look at the glass wall, not on your own strength, not on your own might. Jesus can be standing right next to you saying, are you ready for the glass wall to break? The glass wall cannot be broken by anything you do. It has to be given to me. And we think that it can become so easy to be in relationship with God. And I'm sorry to burst your bubble. When you get in relationship with anybody, let alone the creator of the universe, you better believe that he will begin to speak and poke and prong and tell you it's time to change. It's time to change. This is not who I created you to be. This is not the journey I've called you to be on. It's time to get rid of the old so I can give you the new. I am doing a new thing. I am doing a fresh thing. And in order to step and to be and go beyond the glass wall, you have to be willing to give it to me. Paul says something that blows my mind. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, it's this interesting thing about relationship with God. I've realized that when I'm walking with him, it is not a race. He's taught me that. Stop being in a race, Sammy. Stop hurrying. Stop trying to rush things. Stop being impatient. It's my season. I control time. I control obstacles. I control events. Even the thing that you can't stand, Sammy, there's times that I control that so that I can create and establish the person that I'm calling you to be. But you better not get it twisted. It is my grace that will get you through it. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You might be in a place in your life that you feel you're so weak, you compare yourself to all other people, and my encouragement to you, it's good news. The more weak you are, the more strong you are in God's presence, because it's nothing that you could ever do or muster up. It is all that who he is and what he has done that will get you and propel you to where he needs you to be. But you must understand it is pivotal, it is theological, it is the expression of God and grace and Jesus and how he came to humanity. And it has to be understood that God looks at you through the the lens of grace. It's grace that will get you through it. And it's not easy. I know even just right now as I'm speaking, you, you have your own glass wall. You have your own mistakes and mishaps and brokenness that has been brought to the forefront of your mind and your memory, and though you've hit it, it's okay. I have learned you can't, you can't just bury the past and burn it on fire until you deal with it. You have to sometimes look at it face to face, and though it is scary, and though it is frustrating, and though there's brokenness, and though you may feel you become the victim again, it is only then that God can show you that it is his grace that will get you through it. And it's in those moments that he begins to build upon layers of layers of layers of strength in your own life, in your own heart. So I just want to encourage whoever you are in this room, whatever journey you are on with God, you might have known God for 15 years, but you seem to be hitting a wall. You know, Jesus talks a lot about pride. He talks a lot about humility and pridefulness. 
And I have discovered over reading the scriptures, over reading the life of Jesus, that the more prideful you are, the more he just wants to say, okay, who's next? I need someone humble. I need someone that's willing to say they're not perfect. They don't have it all together. I need someone who's willing to say, God, I'm so incredibly weak. I'm so incredibly damaged. I'm so incredibly broken. And it's in the brokenness I need you to do something with my life. And it's then and only then that another depiction of what Nelson alluded to, grace comes in hand. It's another perspective of grace. Paul says that God has graced you for something more. And you might not understand what that means, but man, when you go to work, there's just a pep to your walk and there's something about who you are, what you do, and you might not get it, but you're graced for it. There are people in this room, you have no idea what the capacity of your gift is until you step into the grace that God has given you. It's only in the grace and the humility and the imperfection that God can do his greatest work in you. But if you stand and walk around as though you are perfect, he can never do anything with someone that constantly looks in the mirror and doesn't realize it's only grace that gets me through it. In every season, in every journey, in every level, it's grace. And you know, as we end this fast, I want to encourage you with something. Maybe you were praying, and there's this, this one event that just keeps popping up. Why does it keep popping up? Why, why can't I get through this? Like, I just, I'm just i going and praying. I'm asking God to speak. I'm asking him to move. And I just, I'm, I'm, it's this nagging, this annoyance, this thorn in my flesh. And it's a reminder That it's not anything that you can do. It's only the grace that is within you through the Holy Spirit, through the power of God that will get you through the next day. For when you are weak, that's when he can be strong. So I want to encourage you as we end this fast, as we begin to just worship and seek God, whatever level of understanding you are with God, If you've crossed the line of faith and you've asked him to be in your life, I would encourage you to press into this moment. Not for the person to the left or the right of you, but just to soak into his presence, to understand something that needs to be done. Maybe it's a conversation you must have with God. Maybe he's trying to bring it back to your remembrance for a reason so that he can get you through it, so that he can remind you that it's his grace. Maybe you're in a place where it's all good. And you can like dance and you can have joy and it's amazing, but you've hit a wall in your faith walk. And God has to remind you, I did not bring you through all this journey and all this trial for no reason. You must understand, in order for me to take you to this next level, you have to humble yourself and remind yourself it's nothing that you can do. It's the grace, the grace, the grace. I want to pray for you right now. Because I I just know, I know in a room like this, even for my own self, there's times as though I feel like Paul where a messenger of Satan comes, a demonic voice, a lie of wickedness, a lie of the enemy that just says, you can't do that. You think you're going to go start a church? You can't do that. Let me just remind you of all the things you've done. You think you want to go and apply for that job? You're not smart enough. You you, you really think that you can get married and have a healthy dynamic of relationship when you just, all you got to do is look at the family. 
you can't make it through. You really think you're gonna be a good mom? Because you've only understood the dynamic of one mom and your mom might not have been good enough. You really think that you're gonna mount up to being a healthy father? And it's lie after lie after lie. And oftentimes it could be your own voice But when you pray and when you fast and when you see God and when you stir up the ground and when you invite God into the mess and into the weakness, the enemy loves to get a little bit closer to remind you of your faults. And it's in those moments I have learned, wait, 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 it's not anything I can do. I'm so glad you reminded me of that mistake because it's just a reminder that it's not me, it's grace that's gonna get me through. And someone in this room needs to hear that. The enemy's lying to you, he's telling you you're not good enough, he's telling you to end all things with all people, he's telling you to escape and get into a dark space, he's telling you to to ruin relationships, to ruin friendships, the enemy is lying to you in all different shapes and sizes. And it may just be because God is getting ready to break the wall. It may be just because you're fasting and you're praying for the first time ever and though your family has never done it, though the generations behind you has never done it, for the first time ever in your life, in your lineage, in your pedigree, you have devoted to God to give him first. God, I'm gonna fast for you, I'm gonna pray for you, I'm gonna ask that you would do something in my life that I know I cannot do. And it's then and only then I would argue that the enemy loves to come and creep his voice in. But tonight we get to sing a song of victory. Tonight we get to sing praises. Tonight we get to take communion. Tonight we get to exalt the God that creates us, the God that knows us, the God that says I am near and dear, the God of El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. Tonight we get to acknowledge the one that has gone before us, the one that has gone beyond us. We get to acknowledge a God that has been in existence Throughout all time, there is no beginning, there is no end. We look to the beginning, we look to the beginning, we see God and God still is there and he says, I am the beginning. We get to worship that God, that God that knows you intrinsically, that God that knows the deep desires of your heart, the deep mistakes of your heart. We get to worship and plead and sing and you can go back to that place in that moment. Maybe you were a youth group, maybe you were in high school, maybe it happened last week, but there's something about worshiping a God that is real. To dance in the sight of God as David did. So would you stand with me? We're gonna worship. We're gonna worship a real God. Let's sing, go ahead, Jenny.